Welcome back to Authors on the Air. Today, my guest is award-winning author, uh, television producer. She's kind of done it all, Cheryl Head. Cheryl is here to talk about her new book, Time's Undoing. Cheryl, welcome back to Authors on the Air. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. I love that music. I hardly can ever hear it without wanting to dance. <laughs> uh, I, it, it is a good music. And then when we redid the video for the intro, yeah, the um, the the guy who did it is a, a musician anyway, and he said, "Oh, I want to add something to it." And I said, "Go ahead." Wow. I said, "As long as Cheryl likes it, I'm happy." You know. <laughs> Because I can see you snapping away. In oh, the I love it. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. You know, um, this book is very different from your Charlie Mack books. Um, yeah. This, And it was an intentional on your part to write this book, correct? Correct. So I want to read from your, before your prologue, you have two sentences in there. One by the great James Baldwin yeah. that is very relevant because I've been listening to a podcast of the true story of Birmingham. So this is wow. the quote, white people are endlessly demanding to be reassured that Birmingham is really on Mars. And he was absolutely right. Then he's absolutely right now. Mm. The other one is our memory is longer than our la lifespan. And that was Professor Katie Christie Dotson, University of Michigan. Yes. Why did you choose those two quotes? Um, I, I, found them as I was writing the book and um, they just landed with me. Both of them landed with me. Obviously the James Baldwin quote, you know, really speaks to Birmingham's prominence in the civil rights era and uh, was be because of the misdeeds <laughs> that they were involved in. Sure. And so, you know, that really, I think that really uh, resonates with folks who remember 1963, Birmingham and before. Uh, the second quote about memory is one that I was grappling with because I've been walking around with the story for decades and uh, it, it, the memories of my mother and grandmother are really what drives this story. Um, and so I'm, I'm thinking that memory really lasts longer than generations, kind of resides in our bones, never leaves us really. We can I think you're right. Can really it's in, call the, on those when we it's in our DNA, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, and our memory plays a big part in how we live our life going forward. True, mm -hmm. Correct? Yes, I agree. So I agree. you you've had you are a witness, maybe a generation back, but uh, or ahead, uh, to what happened in Birmingham and what continues to happen today. What is in your memory? Uh, I've been to Birmingham many times as an adult to visit. Uh, what's in my memory is a really profound, um, uh, visceral uh, reaction to 63. I sort of remember my mom's reaction to it. And, you know, when you're a child and your mom's upset, you're upset too. So mm -hmm. I remember that vividly. I think we all remember, though, you know, CBS did such a great job of capturing the archives of those those times. And so yes. those pictures of the, the hoses being turned on Black people, the dogs, yes. the vicious dogs. Oh, yeah. To bite folks. Um, you know, those stick with me. I can see them right now as we're talking about them. So that's your memory then. How has it changed your vision and your memory of, of more current generation, more current time because in some ways not a lot of things have changed while a lot of things have changed well, that's exactly it that's the dichotomy <laughs> yeah it's a crazy thing because um i remember those times i mean i was nine years old then 
Yeah. Nine, yeah, nine years old. And um, I really didn't understand what was going on. No. And I know my parents were horrified. Right. And it was glossed over, though, when I went into school because I was in a parochial school. Yeah. No. And never heard about that. And honestly, not even through then junior high, what was called junior high school and high school. Right. It wasn't until much later as an adult that when I began reading and listening to other people speak and listening to their truths that I, I recognize what the horror is. So what has changed and what hasn't? Mm -hmm. And how does that affect you writing Time's Undoing? Mm -hmm. What I believe has changed is that Birmingham is is trying to uh, address and redress some of the legacy it has in this involvement in racial injustice. Um, in 2017, the black then black chief of police apologized for the historical uh, racial injustice of his police force. That's a good that's a good start. Before that, for those periods during after Reconstruction through Jim Crow and right through the 60s in the Civil Rights era there was kind of, they were stuck in their hatred of black people and it showed in all their actions. Um, that's not that long ago, you know? Um, no, it isn't. And I think you're being generous when you say through the sixties. Yeah. I think it carried on a lot longer than that. Yeah. And, and it seems like, you know, we were going somewhere and now does it seem like there's a, a turn back again? I think there's a turn back in the whole country around yeah. hate groups and the infiltration of some of these hate groups within law enforcement, unfortunately. Yeah. They're, they're showing that the folks that are being tried in the January 6th insurrection here in D.C., a lot of them had military backgrounds and law enforcement backgrounds. And law enforcement. Yeah. And also I was reading that um, that a lot of police have gangs within the police force. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a scary thing, Cheryl, when you think about it. And here it you is. are documenting a, a quasi real story. Yeah. I mean, this is based on your memories and yes. of things that happened. What do you remember in actuality that you turned into your story? Well, what I have are these snippets of memories and conversations and small facts that I got from both my mother and grandmother. And I've put every one of those items in this book. You know, sometimes it's just my mom, my mother saying, I remember daddy used to throw me up in the air and catch me. And I just giggled when I did that. I put that in the book. So everything she can remember is in that book. She's 95, still alive. Good I consulted with her throughout the process of writing this book. Um, and so the things I don't remember because my mom was just two years old when her father was killed, I imagine. But I do that through the process of doing a lot of research about 1929 in the United States and in Birmingham, and then really letting myself write organically uh, to, to see if I could capture what I felt about that period based on the feelings and, uh, and stories that my grandmother and mother had passed on to me. It was a daunting task to do that. But that part of the writing was even easier than the contemporary sections for me, turns out. It's interesting. What does your mom think about the book? Did you tell her you wrote it? Yeah, I not only told her I wrote it, but um, I would call her and read passages to her. And she would have two reactions, Pam. She would either say, where, where did you get that? I said, I imagined it, Mom. She said, oh, that's very good. I like it. Or she would say, 
oh, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> so oh. it was one or two of those reactions. Well, well that's good. I mean, I guess you know, that <laughs> informs your her, writing. As, mom informs your writing as that's well. That's exactly right. And I would say to her, well, it's crime fiction, mom. It's fiction. So there are going to be parts that probably didn't happen that way. Um, so, and I, even now, I sat with her just last week, ten days ago, and we listened to the audiobook together. And it was really, it was really heartfelt. Her reaction to it was heartfelt because she was trying to remember if that actor reading her father's part was her father. You know, she doesn't have a lot of memories of his voice. Sure. So I'm thinking she's really taking that in. It was. Well, How did you watcher. react when you listened to the audiobook? Um, it was good. I um. They have two artists, two voiceover artists, one for the dad's voice, the grandfather's voice, and one for the contemporary protagonist's voice, Megan. And I think they both did a good job. And of course, I don't mean that. I'm sure they did. I want to know how it personally affected you. How it personally affected you. To hear your story being read out loud like that. Because, you know, it's different. And you know this. Yeah. And we've talked about these things before. Yeah. Reading and listening are two completely different things. Yeah. They are affecting different parts of your brain and, you know, stimulating you. Yeah. So, when you first heard your audio bit book yeah. being read to you or when you listened to it, yeah, what was your initial reaction? Well, yeah, honestly, my reaction was, it's good. <laughs> and, I, and, and when I did it, it was good, too, because I read it out loud to my mom. So I was hearing right. it out loud, you know, and I was thinking maybe I, maybe I could have done some of it. I don't know. But I like the way they did it. So I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. You know, the, so the, the reading part of it has always been part of my process of writing just so I could share it with my mother. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think that's the best writers do that. They read what they write because yeah. those who are English majors are always writing sentences that are grammatically correct. correct. And, and in truth, that's not the way we talk. <laughs> True. And it's not the way we hear, you yes. know? And so it always affects the rhythm. You go like, oh, that, that word might be right, but it doesn't sound right in the sentence. You know, right. I mean, so I have, I always change things after I've read it aloud. It's really how helpful. many tour, how many book stops have you done so far? Uh, so far, far four. I'm headed off to Houston uh, this week, and I'm hoping to also be in Detroit. And then I'd like to, I need to be in Birmingham to talk about this book. I think you do. Yeah. Um, tell me what the reaction from your audience has been. Um, very respectful. Um, lots of questions about my mom, you know, and asking how she's doing and how she reacted to the book. Of, I think folks get the get the notion that th- this is a continuum. This the, these these law enforcement excessive force cases are not brand new. They're getting that message from the book that they're historical. I think they also, and I'm hoping people will get this, that I feel optimistic about us being able to make some changes that are positive in community policing. Um, Because I'm hopeful that with conversation, we can can do better around all our race issues of this country, which I think are important. And are becoming inflamed. And without uh, becoming inflamed, right. Yes, I mean, yes. uh, yeah, I, I we're, we're divisive enough as it is. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it feels like a divide and conquer mentality sometimes. It, it's frightening, but I think community yeah. together, good people of goodwill and allies, we can do it together. Yeah, I, I'm of the opinion that 
the most the most that you should be affected by first are your local locally right and then you know no matter what's happening at a federal level or even right. at the state level yeah. if you can work locally and build up it's like you know planting a seed that's right. and watching the tree grow so yeah, right. it starts with those conversations with our neighbors you know it does i think yeah. it does um you said it took you a long time to write this book yeah well why is that it took most of 2020 i started in march i think i maybe had a first draft by the end of the year. That's not a super long time, but I wanted to do the research and do honor to the 1929 story. So I wanted to make sure I had captured the essence of that culture of the, and Black community in Birmingham. Uh, so I was going through, as the protagonist does in the books, I was going through newspapers and reading uh, personal ads and everything that would give me a sense of the flavor Yes, of the community, you know, the church ads and the one ads and the I was looking at the grocery store costs and all that stuff. I wanted to see it was a bustling life for black folks in their neighborhoods, even at the same time where there was severe uh, and draconian laws that prescribed how black people could live. There right. was still robustness in the life away from that danger. Uh, although I think people walked around every day with stress, never knowing if that was going to be their last day. I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, what surprised you in your research? Uh, I came across an article in the St. Petersburg Times, uh, June 1929 edition, that had a, 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 an account of my father's murder. We never had that. <gasps> really? I really found it. It was like magic, Pam. Uh, I had put in the keywords his name, Robert Harrington, and had gotten you know 7,000 pages of things. And I was systematically going through it every day, a little bit at a time, because it's grueling, you know? And one day I'm at the dining room table writing that day and up pops this page and I'm going through the page and I look at it and it says, local Negro killed by Birmingham, Alabama police. That was the headline. And then a one by one inch by one inch articles gave his name, his address and said he had a re resisted arrest and was killed by a, a police officer. I'm sure you were stunned when you I saw was, I sat there for half an hour, just not moving <laughs> just and, and sobbing and sobbing. And I would was, imagine. Yeah. Would and imagine. because of that, I was able, because I had a date of his death, because we really didn't know the exact date. I was able to get the death certificate and therefore where he died, the number of the, the shots into his torso and chest, as it described it. I mean, all those details I, I was able to find. I can't imagine having to read that. I, I can't imagine. And, you know, sadly, um, it's not stopping. It may not be as as prolific as it was back then because, yeah. of, like you said, the laws and all, but it's not And stopping. people are reporting them, and we have video cameras. We have video <laughs> cameras, yeah. God bless cell phone cameras. No it may be the only oh, thing yeah. that is, is a saving grace for yes. a lot of people. That's right. Um, That's Cheryl... What do you hope that your audience and readers take away from this book? Um, a couple of things. I hope they really look at what Black Lives Matter has done. I mean, they've moved away from our consciousness a little bit in America, but they really laid the seeds for us understanding that police excessive force is not a, a contemporary phenomenon. Right. And, that, and if they look back decades and decades before, they'll see a pattern of this kind of excessive force and therefore the need to really address it now in, in 2023. And then secondly, I hope that people will say to themselves, no matter what obstacles we have in front of us and how 
difficult a task might seem or how difficult a situation might feel, with through community and through allies, we can push through it and get to the other side of that and find, you know, in the case of the Black folks in Birmingham, find Black joy and Black love and thrive even under these very severe conditions. Have you had any pushback? Um, I wrote an op-ed about needing to look at excessive force and perhaps to pull the bill that's in Congress back into the front of the of the Senate, uh, the one that's the George Floyd Policing Act. And when I wrote that, I got a, hate, a piece of hate mail in my uh, my uh, website mailbox. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was sort of expecting it, but you know, you don't really expect it until you read it, and then you, you're just kind of stunned again. Are reviews out for the book now? There are some reviews out for the book, uh, lots of reader reviews and reviews from the Tampa Bay Times. Very grateful for their looking at the story because it's steeped in, you know, in their location. Right, um, right. NPR review was very good. Hoping to get a few more coming in from the editorial staffs of newspapers. Do you read your reader uh, reviews. I do. I know I'm not supposed to. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it's it's listen. It's how you know how thick your skin is, and as a writer, <laughs> you know that you're gonna you're gonna have a, a wide variety of things going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you react when you see a negative review? You know, sometimes I um like walk around, and it takes me half a day to shake it off. You know, I'll go like, "What do they mean?" <laughs> you know, and I'm, I literally walk. Sure. <laughs> Because I do think if I hear the same point two or three times, I really give it some thought. You know, sure. Well, that yeah, makes sense. You know, right. You know, so I want to not read them. I know sometimes it's just a bunch of BS and I just take it for what it is. But if it's someone who I think is thoughtful and is saying something, I, I, I step back and think about it a little bit. And sometimes it takes me a minute to shake it off, to tell you the truth. Yeah. I, well, I hope none of that sticks with you because yeah. a lot of it's nonsense. Not for long. Um, Cheryl, <laughs> your book is so well written. It feels like a history lesson to me. Oh, and for that, I'm grateful because, you know, I I was a kid who grew up in a white bread community, a, a yeah. lower middle class white bread community. And um, and I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't have any black friends where I grew up. But yeah, when. But we did have a lot of religious differences on our street. And oh, I didn't know any better. I was the oldest uh, of four kids. And okay. for instance, I would say, you know, we were cat, we were raised Catholic. Okay. And so the Jewish family down the street were just Catholic Jews. And the <laughs> girl next door was Catholic Baptist. I didn't know any better because that my parents never differentiated. That's right. And so when we when I transitioned into high school and I grew up in Hialeah, of Florida, where there was a huge influx of the Cuban population coming. Oh, right. Even so though, okay. it just seemed natural to me. It, it, you know, so I'm I'm sorry that I don't understand why people are so hateful, but I hope that you, what by what you're doing and talking about this and bringing it into contemporary times, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're starting a dialogue. I and I so. applaud you for that. Thank you very much. I really want young people to pick up this book. And that's why my protagonist, Megan, is just 28. I want people to see it through her eyes and and, and kind of spark the energy and the passion of those young people who have been on the front lines of some of our protesting. I, I admire them. Have you noticed in your audience that there are young people? or are Yes. They 
I'm always happy. I've had a pretty good range of ages in in good. my audiences so far, and I hope to keep that going. And I really want to be in libraries, and I'm, I accept any invitations to come to schools. Absolutely. I don't blame you. Um, let us know where we can find you on the web and social media. Yes, uh, I'm on Twitter at C-H-E-A-D-D-C. Um, I'm on Instagram under my name, Cheryl Head. Um, and oh no, sorry, Instagram is C Head Writes and Facebook, Cheryl Head. So it's easy to find I, me. I know you're a big Twitter girl because yeah. the other day you posted Twitter's down. <laughs> I know it was weird. I thought maybe finally crashed for good. You know, <laughs> I pay no attention to it. The only thing I do is I I, I limit my scope for books and writers. You know, Good so for you, yeah, I, I I don't want to get into the fray, and, and which is another reason why I don't have a television in my house. So. Oh my goodness, Pam, that's why you're such a great reader. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, uh, Cheryl Head. Where are you heading next? I'm heading to Houston to a beautiful indie bookstore, African-owned bookstore called Kindred Stories, and I'm really looking forward to being there and interacting with, with readers. And you are, is your tour listed on your website? It is at, at, at CherylHead.com. Very good. Yeah. Um, thank you, Cheryl, for being thank with me. Pam. I want to just get a disclaimer out there that, um, well, first of all, Cheryl and I are friends, but also we'll tune in one day because Cheryl is also one of the guest hosts on Authors on the Air, and she's just an exceptional interviewer and uh, uh and i'm so delighted she's part of our network thank Thanks you for being so here cheryl and I, I wish you luck and have fun on your tour Kim, love you thank you i love you too baby hold on